Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and every weekday I chat with today's most successful coaches, and we learn their secrets to building a thriving coaching business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today, we're speaking with Todd Treseder. He's a former hedge fund manager who retired at age 35. He loves playing the money game like a kid loves playing Monopoly and remains an active investor to this day. He's also a financial educator and pro-consumer advocate, having authored five personal finance books. Todd, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Millette. Thanks for having me on the show. Before we jump into more about your business, I would love it if you would tell us just a little bit about who you are and maybe what you like to do when you're not working. Um, I'm actually pretty average guy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, you wouldn't recognize me from anyone else on the street. I'm totally casual. I dress casual. If you saw me now, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. Um, you know, classic millionaire next door kind of thing. And I, you know, I'm just very normal. Um, my my big motif I think is adventure. I love adventure. So whether it's outdoor recreation, extreme sports, building a business, raising a family, those are all adventures in my mind. Um, and how you pursue the adventure of life. So I think that would probably be the the characteristic that most tells me apart. But from a physical appearance, from just meeting me on the street, just talking to me, you wouldn't know me from anyone else. Well, we all love to be inspired by people's journey. So the first part of our conversation is going to focus on your business journey. So how long has coaching been an aspect of your business and what really led you to get into it? Uh, well, back in 1998, we have to go pretty far back. So I've been a coach for, what, 18 years now, 19 years, so almost two decades. Um, I was introduced to coaching through uh, Robert Kiyosaki had just had some best-selling books, you know, uh, Rich Dad. Poor Dad was a bestseller. I don't know if you remember that. And mm -hmm. um, he hadn't written Cashflow Quadrants yet. So I'm trying to date this where it was right at the beginning of his rise in popularity. And I knew somebody that was trying to put a coaching program together with him. And this person knew me and knew my financial background. So my real expertise was uh, finance. I came out of the hedge fund industry. And so I had sold the hedge fund, was financially independent, and was kind of trying to figure out what was my next great thing that I was going to do. And she's like, well, you know, we need somebody with financial background to build the coaching curriculum for, for Rich Dad's advisors. And I was like, well, okay, let me look into it. And so we started getting together and we were working on programs and stuff. Eventually, the lawyers kind of kiboshed it, um, felt it was too much risk. This was very early on. They eventually did one, but it wasn't anything like what we were going to create. So I have no affiliation with the current Rich Dad's advisors or any of the Rich Dad stuff. I had no connection to it at all. Um, but anyway, I got... As part of doing that, I had to take advanced training, uh, Coaches Training Institute in San Rafael, uh, just to get to know how coaching works. And I fell in love with it. I didn't realize, I mean, I was, I was very gifted at it. I was a standout in the class. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a whole different way of communication. And I just kind of fell in love with coaching. And so even after the whole, um, Robert Kiyosaki thing fell apart and we did, decided not to move forward, I just said, well, heck, I'm going to do it on my own. So you were super successful in finance and then moving into coaching. Can you tell us about maybe a disappointment or just a low point that you experienced while you were getting that business built up? Um, I think a low point had to do with 
I, I still remember it was a client. I was, I was experimenting with coaching styles. So in other words, I was trained as what they call coactive coaching, which is where it's all, all the knowledge is within the client. But I, I was in the specialty of financial coaching. It's a special space and people were hiring me because they wanted access to my expertise and my background knowledge, um, as well as they needed the coaching part. And I was building out a whole different model around, how you help people with finances, right? I didn't want to be a traditional financial advisor. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to sell investment products. And as it turns out, your financial success is only a tiny, tiny component finance. It's mostly about the individual. So I was trying to build out a whole new model and I was experimenting with a lot of different things. So I started out as a pure coactive coach where it was all in the client's expertise. That was a really slow process. So that was a frustration right there, right? Because as it turns mm -hmm. out, the clients don't have all the knowledge they need. Um, and that they really were relying on me for some of that expertise and they would get very frustrated if I wouldn't deliver it and it would slow the process down. So then that was the first frustration. Then I started experimenting with other models. Eventually I landed on like a, um, uh, a real kind of masculine model, kind of, you know, um, high, high accountability and all that. And that disappointed some clients. So I, I kind of kept oscillating around trying to find my voice, my style, and then eventually I landed on, it was a blending of what I call mentoring and coaching, where it balances mm -hmm. my financial expertise, my financial background, my experience as a coach working with lots and lots of people on these issues, combined with drawing out what is the client's um, best knowledge, their, their truth, and integrating the two and coming in with a much softer, more accepting voice. Um and when I finally got that piece together, that's when the, it really started producing results. So I had a lot of frustrations just trying to find my style that worked with the kind of content as well as the issues that clients were having. So it just took a while fumbling and failing. Mm. When you talk about um, combining like the whole idea of like being a mentor and being a coach, you know, going back to just the traditional definition, I guess, of consulting where you do do things for someone and then coaching is more like you just you're sort of teaching someone. Do you feel like you just sort of that you combine different aspects just to make it the easiest as possible for well, your clients? It took me a lot to figure it out, Millette. I I do it seamlessly now, but at the time I would do it kind of awkwardly as I was figuring it out. I'd be like, okay, I'm putting my coaching hat on now. Now I'm putting my mentoring hat mm -hmm. on, you know, like I would do it kind of awkwardly and now I just do it seamlessly where I start to recognize where people are stuck, where they need my insight versus where, you know, it's really about them. Cause it's a very dangerous thing. If you get too much into your expertise, then it becomes too much about you. It's right. not f client focused and, and you run dangerously astray of what the client truly needs. You always have to stay client focused. And if you go too client focused where it's all coming from within the client, then what happens is the client gets stuck and the process, the progress is much slower than it could be if you could provide those valuable insights at just the right time. And so it's kind of this dance of like knowing where to interject input that's going to help the client jump forward versus um, getting too much in your own agenda. And so you always have to be very sensitive to what is the client's agenda, but then be able to provide the insight that's going to take that client forward at just the right time. I, did that make sense? When you work with people, is it usually one-on-one? -on -one? Because that sounds like what you're talking about really is, is kind of a hands-on process. Yeah. And it was for a long time. Um, so I was always a one-on-one -on -one coach and I would, I would allow 
couples to come in. So I would do a couple for the same price as one-on-one because for me, it was all about helping people produce results in their one economic unit. So I would do either couples or one-on-one. And recently though, I've transitioned the business to um, products and um, you know, we can talk about that, but that, that transition was only made possible by the fact that I'd done this for almost two decades and I've actually gotten it down to a science. So yeah, it was a lot of hand-holding. It was a lot of personalization in the beginning. And now it's, you know, we're not that unique. Uh, we like to think that, and I mean, let me take that back. We are all unique human beings, but our problems, our situations, and the issues we're going through is not that unique. And so mm-hmm. I figured out a way to structure the process. And actually, I shouldn't say I figured out. The clients kind of handed it to me on a silver platter over the years. I found out that they were actually coming through in seven, six, there's seven steps they go through. And I was able to break it down into a seven step process and then build a curriculum around each step. And then there's, and each step is a specific solution to a specific problem that clients face in the process of building wealth, which is the value benefit that I provide. I help clients break through financially. And so mm-hmm. you, that's another thing about coaching that you have to become clear on. You know, coaching is like, pink fog to most people. And it, it, it can be difficult to sell because you, you won't sell well until you're very clear on the benefit that you provide. That, and that's the solution to the problem that you deliver. And it has to be a problem that is compelling to the client and they're more than willing to pay for a solution for. Um, once you get that, then you can break it down into a curriculum like I did. So that was a mouthful, mm-hmm. but anyway. <laughs> Well, one thing that you said a little bit earlier on that I'd like to touch on again, you know, a lot of times it takes a whole lot of consistent action before people feel like they really start to get some momentum. And sometimes they can kind of point to just one tipping point where their business finally starts to really take off and and clients start to come in at a fairly regular rate. You had mentioned something earlier about crafting, taking a little piece from here and a little piece from there. And when you finally found your unique voice, that was when things started to come together. Would you say that was your tipping point? Well, it was my tipping point in terms of being able to really deliver value for the clients. I mean, to produce consistent results and help clients break through consistently reliably uh, from wide variety of walks of life. So that was the tipping point for that part of the practice. The tipping point in terms of marketing was actually two pieces. So the first piece was I developed a content marketing platform that ranked really highly for what I call money keywords. And Mm -hmm. money keywords are the keywords that somebody will search for as part of the natural buying process they would use to find your services. So for me, it was pretty easy. The the keywords were money coach, money coaching, uh, financial coach, financial coaching, investment coach, investment coaching, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's always a money-related term in front of the term coach or coaching. If they're searching for that, they're basically searching for my services. Um, and so what I found was hiring a coach is a trust relationship. And so you don't have to be number one for a term. You just have to show up somewhere on page one, maybe page two, but usually page one. Um, clients, my experience in interviewing them and discussing with them, uh, their buying process is such that they will grab you know a handful of coaches of websites that looked interesting from the first page or two. And then they will follow up on those websites. So you just have to have a great content marketing platform that ranks you for what I'll call the money keywords. And when I say money, I mean, it puts money in your pocket. And coincidentally, they were money related terms for me. But, you know, for somebody else like life coach, it would be life coaching or, you know, success coach or whatever it is that your specialty is. 
for mine, it was, you know, but those are the money keywords, right? It's the keywords a client looks for to, to find your services. You want to have a content marketing platform that ranks for those. So that was the first breakthrough that brought me a consistent trickle of clients. I actually filled my practice just off of that. I had a whole process by which I, you know, I had a whole content area. Clients would come in, they would read a bunch of my content and then eventually they would, you know, request a sample session and then I would convert on the sample session. And so that was the first breakthrough. The, the next breakthrough was the podcast. Um, I was shocked once I put out the podcast and people could hear me talk. Um, mm-hmm. my, my writing in the financial space is considered somewhat scholarly. Uh, it's very detailed, very analytical, very precise. You know, it's financial science, right? And right. so, and, but it's also really unconventional. I have a lot of unconventional viewpoints, but as an example, one of my articles, an academic research journal requested to be able to republish it. So I was, you know, next to all these people, you know, there's five articles in this academic research journal and they all have all these letters and acronyms after their names. And then here's my, right. my article. And it says Todd Trester, financial coach. So anyway, once I did the <laughs> podcast and people could hear me talk and, you know, they're like, oh, this guy sounds like a California surfer dude. Right. And, and you contrast that with my scholarly writing and they're all of a sudden they just wanted to work with me. You know, it was that contrast mm-hmm. and the personable voice with the clear expertise um, that just broke the practice wide open. So how did you get the idea of doing the content marketing, you know, SEO around your your keywords and just getting a lot of content on your website so that people can learn more about you from there? Well, can I, can I add something to that though, Millette? Because there's a piece to that. It's not just getting content out and all that. It's about making it clear what you're about and how you're unique and what value proposition you can deliver. And so for me, you know, people hire me because I'm the next step beyond traditional financial advice, right? They've been there, done mm-hmm. that with a traditional financial advisor. They're looking for someone with genuine expertise, not somebody that's just going to tell them to passive index buy and hold and to shovel as much savings over to them as they can. Eventually they're going to be rich as some magical asset allocation formula 30 years from now. Um, they want something more. They're looking for that next step. They come to my site and they go, oh, you know, they resonate with the message. It's unique. It's, it's a different positioning statement that's out there and they want a piece of it. They want to work with me. And that, that's the thing. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. You have to be clear what solution you provide. You have to be clear on your value proposition that clients are willing to pay for. And then you build a content marketing platform that completely supports that viewpoint. Okay, so it's not just any content. It has to be for the correct keywords and it has to say the the things that reinforce the entire value proposition. Right. It, it has to be consistent. If it's not consistent and congruent, clients will see through it. They they won't want anything to do with it. Right, or they just won't understand it if you're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the other thing. A confused client will never buy, right? They have to look at it and know this is exactly what I was looking for. Wow, I finally found what I wanted. Look at this guy, man. This is what I've been looking for for mm-hmm. years. You know, you want that kind of a reaction. Right, right. So then how did you combine that with the podcast? How did you market your podcast to get it in front of those same people so that they could hear you and and develop a deeper connection with you? Well, the podcast is offered on the website. Um, I use my podcast completely different than how most people teach it. Most people teach, you know, a podcast is a traffic driving um, methodology. And I believe podcasts are best used as a conversion methodology, Right. So it's a conversion tool. And so, um, I have very few podcasts, but they have a ton of downloads. 
Um, so I, I read somewhere where the average download statistics for a podcast episode is something like 162 downloads or something really right. crazy small. Mine are all between 30 and 40,000 downloads wow. per episode. Yeah. And that's that puts it in the top fraction of 1% of podcasts out on the internet. And what I do is I just really focus on interviews with specialty people that are consistent with what mm-hmm. I teach. So again, I have the seven steps to seven figures. It's the seven steps that you know my clients have taught me as the process they go through to build wealth. And each one is a specific solution to a specific problem. And then I bring in guests with specific expertises that connect to various parts of each course. And so the podcast naturally upsells to the courses, but then in the process, it illustrates my expertise in the field because I'm right there with these experts on most of these subjects. We're going back and forth with a banner at a really deep level. And if you look at the reviews, I mean, people are just like, wow, I mean, I haven't heard anything like this. So, so anyway, so it's all, again, it's all connected. All these pieces connect. And that's, I think, the hardest part for people listening to this episode. But it all starts from getting clear on your value proposition and what, you know, what, and then you have to build out what is Mm -hmm. the solution that you're selling, right? Because people only pay for a solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. People don't wake up and they go, oh, I want coaching today. Right. Right. What they want is they want a solution to a problem that's just burning them up, that's really bugging them. It's hurting them. They need a solution. They will pay for it if you if you can deliver it and they can have the confidence that you can deliver it. That's what they're waking up with. They wake up with their problems. I think that's great advice because you hear so many people almost like they run around chasing their tail. You know, I got to get my website done. I got to get these graphics done. I need to, to do this. And it's throwing spaghetti against a wall and seeing what will stick when – yeah. More like what you're talking about is, no, come into this with a plan and make every single thing you do connect to each other. It's it's the exact same thing I teach in wealth building. It all starts with your plan around how you're going to build wealth and be built on sound principles, right? There's proven principles in every field. There's proven principles in content marketing. That's what we're sharing right now in this in this episode, right? In this interview, there's also proven principles in wealth building. And if you don't have a plan built around that, and then you don't integrate your life, your daily actions in your life to reinforce that. So you're literally compounding your wealth with every decision you make every day. It doesn't work. You have to do it the right way. You can't just go through spaghetti at the wall, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you're saying, content marketing done wrong isn't going to work. But done right, it's fantastic. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Once you build it and then you can't even turn it off. I mean, I don't know if you know this, Millette. I shut down my coaching practice, God, two, three years ago. I could have filled 10 coaching practices. I kept raising my rates, raising my rates. I broke $600 an hour, and then I finally just had to say – I never wanted to become a thousand dollar an hour coach and I still couldn't slow it down. And I didn't want to work that many hours coaching. Mm-hmm. It was always, my coaching was always intended to be um, revenue producing market research. That was always my intention. I began this practice with the idea, mm-hmm. can I help ordinary people achieve extraordinary financial results? That was my premise. I want to know if I could really help people. And so I didn't want just rich clients and yet I ran into this problem. The content marketing was so successful, I kept raising the rates. And before I know it, I had the very thing I didn't seek, seek out to do. I wasn't trying to get rich off of coaching, even though it became super lucrative. And I, I didn't want just rich clients. I wanted a broad cross-section. 
because I was doing revenue producing market research. That's how I've proven out all seven steps. That's how I've proven out every product I create is through actually working with real people, testing the material and making sure it's effective. So if this was supposed to be market research, what were you working towards? The seven steps to seven figures course Mm -hmm. curriculum. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was building towards that. The idea is to put Todd in a box, get all that expertise in a box. But like you said, it's complicated, right? So it starts as one-on-one coaching. So much of this is personal. It, you know, the amount that's financial is less than half. You know, it's mm-hmm. probably anywhere, depending on the individual and which issues they face, it could be anywhere from 50% to 30% of the equation, mm-hmm. you know, maybe as low as 20% equation. Again, it depends on the individual and what they bring to the equation. But you know, it, there's there's this mix of stuff, and you got to figure out how to put this together, and then how do you standardize it. How do you how do you, how do you make it and still make it work? You know, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a lot too. That's why it took me two decades. Right. Going back to your podcast and what you were saying about you know that you don't have a lot of interviews on there, but you have the right interviews. Are yeah. you still creating episodes for that? Yeah, and they're very spotty. So like, I record one next week. And that one is going to be mm-hmm. kind of interesting and fun for me. It's uh, I'm recording one on paying for college for the affluent, mm-hmm. right? So, and again, notice it's for my target market. Doesn't matter how wealthy you are, the cost of college is extraordinary, right? You know, and if you have several children, it's it's crazy high, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have assets, the cutoff point for financial aid based on need is really low. And so all of a sudden you're in a whole different domain about how do you pay for college and you're outside of the traditional talk of getting, you know, Pell Grants and the FAFSA form and all that. So I'm going to bring in two experts and do a thing on paying for college for the affluent. Mm. So that'll be fun for me. I've got two daughters heading off to college. So with everything that you're doing now, the the podcast and your coaching or not coaching. <laughs> uh, what are you creating next? Is is it the putting yourself in a box and and getting more hands off? Yeah. So it's the seven steps to seven figures courses. Each so it's seven separate courses. Each one is a specific, exactly walking the talk like I'm sharing with you here. Each step is a specific solution to a specific problem in the wealth building process. All seven together, it's a comprehensive, you know, process or solution. It's like a university curriculum on how to build wealth. And so the only one that's publicly available now is the step three course, which is the one I was just kind of talking about earlier about how you design your life to re- how you mm-hmm. integrate a wealth plan based on proven principles with your life plan. You know, so it integrates the three asset classes instead of just the one, you know, paper assets, which is, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance that your financial planner can sell you. That's usually what a plan consists of because that's all they can sell you. Whereas this integrates all three asset classes, which is business entrepreneurship, direct ownership of real estate, as well as paper assets. goes through the characteristics of the asset classes, how you match them to your goals, your personal skills, your resources, how you integrate that into a plan, how you reverse engineer the plan back to action steps, how you integrate that back to your life. It's a totally different thing from how traditional financial planning operates. And so that course is actually publicly available right now. That's the first one I built. And then the next one I'll build after that will be the step five course, which is expectancy investing. Um, that's the one that's most in demand for me. Um, and that's the investing strategies and investment style that I developed back in my hedge fund days uh, that I still use to manage my money to this day. And so I'll teach that in that course. So anyway, there's seven separate courses. I'm just going to be building them out over the next several years and uh, continue to build out the content marketing machine. 
So right now, how are you generating revenue in your business? If you're, is it mostly your, your coursework and one-on-one? Yeah. So even though I haven't taken one-on-one clients for a long time, I still have quite a few clients. Um, mm-hmm. They just haven't quit. And so, um, so I've got one-on-one client revenue and then I've got uh, course sales. So the, 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 the business is already officially transitioned. So the dominant revenue source is course sales already. And I've only got one of seven courses done. And then um, one-on-one clients would be second place. And then third place would be book sales and affiliate revenue and advertising revenue. They're all kind of combined in there. On your books, when you decided to become an author, was it because you wanted to to share this message? Was it an idea to get another way for people to find you? What was what was sort of the mindset there? I kind of stumbled into it backwards, like so many other things. The clients kind of showed me what was needed. So my first two books were the Variable Annuity book, which is coincidentally is the one that gets the worst reviews. And the reason it gets bad reviews is because all the Variable Annuity salesmen go on and give it a one star. Um, because uh. they can't stand it, <laughs> right? Because it basically right. it basically explains variable annuities um, in a way that an average person can understand them in about 30 pages. So I was intentionally mm. trying to make a really short, sweet, logical, not technical jargon, you know, piece that, because I, I need it for my clients. I had so many clients getting ripped off with variable annuities where they were just inappropriate. And the reason why is because they're extremely lucrative to sell. And so the salespeople mm. really push them. And a lot of them are just self-delusional, you know, because they're trained by the the companies off the products. And so a lot of them genuinely think it's a good product or that it belongs in a portfolio in certain circumstances when it doesn't. Um, so I'm not saying they're all bad people, but I think they're self-delusional. They don't have enough expertise to really understand them. So I wrote that book so I could just give it to my clients rather than burn several calls, you know, trying to explain all these mm-hmm complicated financial principles. I, I spent a lot of time. There's actually a funny backstory on that, Millette. I, I I wrestled with that book back and forth, trying to figure out how to get the storyline right and how to get it so it'd be simple and people could get it. I finally, one day I got it, you know, and like I, I got the edit down and it worked. And I was like, my God, I finally figured it out. Right. I came downstairs to share it with my wife and I was all excited. And she says, that's great, honey. Can you clean out the cat box? Oh, no. <laughs> Like she had no idea, you know, what she did. It just kills her to this day that she said that, you know, it's like I'd wrestled with this thing. It was this masterwork I was so excited about, you know, and all she thought about was, yeah, can you go clean the cat box? Oh my goodness. So, anyway. And then the the other book, the book that really um, got me going on Amazon um, and it was a bestseller. It's still a top book in its category. Um, is how much money do I need to retire? And again, that book I wrote because basically, you know, retirement is a euphemism for old age financial independence, right? Mm-hmm. And what I teach is financial independence at any age. And so the math principles and all the principles of wealth building that, you know, I teach in this wealth course or whatever, they apply whether you're trying to retire or you're just trying to become financially independent in your twenties or thirties or whatever age. It's all, it's all the same stuff. It's just different ages cause some different principles to apply. So I wrote this book, how much money do I need to retire? Because, you know, I'm doing this with every client. I'm figuring out their wealth plan with every client. And I just was struck at the amount of misinformation and misunderstanding and how it's just not taught properly. And the really key important principles are never voiced, you know? And so I just, I wrote this book and you can see in the reviews, it's, you know, 90 some odd percent, four and five star reviews. Um, 
it's just, it's a game changer. A lot of people have come around since I wrote that book. When I wrote the book, you know, none of that information was known, but so many people have read it now and built it into their thinking that you'll mm-hmm. actually run across some of the material now on the internet. But when I wrote it, it was unseen. You know, we've talked about a couple of different things earlier, content marketing and then referrals. What would you say is your favorite strategy for bringing new clients into your business? And I guess that it's changing now since you're shifting your business a little bit. Yeah, you know, it does change. So I've always been a content marketer. And the reason for Mm -hmm. I love giving value, right? And so content marketing done right is you just give value, you give value, you give value. It's about helping people. And I just, I love that. It's a business model I enjoy. Now the price you pay for that is it's got a big lag time, right? Because it took me years. Like if I had to have the money, it took me years to build the content marketing platform before it really started to pay well, right? But I I was fortunate. I was financially independent when I started this journey. So I didn't have to have the money. Um, And so that was kind of unique. So I've always loved content marketing because the, the idea here was always about giving back, um, in recent times with this course, though, the course is kind of almost going semi-viral. And that's been a huge surprise to me. Most of the clients coming in now, because all I have is a sales on the website. I haven't been marketing it. And the the sales keep growing every month. And what I'm finding in interviewing the people that come in is they're being referred in by people already inside the course. Mm-hmm. And because the course is changing lives and people are talking about it. And so it's just kind of, you know, one person tells five, five tell 25, and it just keeps growing. Right. Um, yeah, it's just been a huge surprise for me. I, it's opened all new doors for me because, you know, I was really fearful in moving to a course format for the very reason you said in the interview, like, gee, Todd, what you do is really personalized. And it is, right? Mm-hmm. And how can you really get it in a course? But because I'd done it for so long and I'd been taking notes all along and, So I actually had the course in a note form and all outlined out and everything. I kept building it out and building it out in a file cabinet. And so when it came time to structure, it was really more of an assemblage than anything, you know, just assembling what I had already been doing for so long. And because of that, because it was proven out with clients in real time for all different walks of life, it just works. And, and I've been shocked. Like I haven't even had to do much for support. It's so people don't have questions. They just go through it and they get it. Right. I, I It's been a surprise. I, I've never had viral market. I've never had it where people are just referring, even my coaching clients before, you know, the coaching was expensive. It was very personal. I would get some referrals, but it was never a big referral business for me. It was always a content marketing business and a coaching. But this course mm-hmm. has been different. The course has been referral and more than content right. marketing because I haven't done a good job content marketing it yet. I haven't built out the funnels. I haven't built out any of that stuff yet. Well, speaking of of the content marketing as a way to bring new clients to you, as far as a new coach that maybe isn't as interested in in blogging or writing, I mean, will this content marketing strategy work with any medium, anything that people are interested in? So if they're interested in doing YouTube videos, I mean, is that can they make this work for them if they don't want to blog? Absolutely. Absolutely. The the, the only um, caveat I'll put in is your audience has to hang out there. Um, right. So if your audience hangs out at YouTube, um, then YouTube can work for you. Uh, my audience tends to be, you know, more educated, more experienced. Um, they're very busy. So that's why the podcast, I think, was such a breakthrough 
is uh, mm-hmm. that's a target market for podcasts. They listen to them on the commute to work or, you know, they're just very source resourceful with their time. Um, so anyway, audio worked well for me. Uh, video has never been powerful for me. I, I don't even look at video, right? Um, I never mm-hmm. built a video platform. It might be powerful once I build it out, but it's never been part of my game plan. I think the key point is you don't have to be perfect at everything. You just have to find the combination that works for you, for your message, for your target market and the solution you provide. And, um, Pat, you know, Pat Flynn teaches a concept over at Smart Passive Income, the be everywhere, uh, strategy where he multiplies his right. content out on every platform. I haven't been successful with that yet. Um, just lack of time and lack of priority. Um, you know, I've done very well with content marketing in terms of articles and SEO. And then also with the podcast for conversion and, and then that's, that's as far as I've gone. Uh, you know, I think everything will add to it though. The more you do, the more you'll add to it. It's just, there's only so many hours in a day. Right. Yeah. That was actually going to be my next question, which was how do you feel about the repurposing of content? And a lot of people talk about that they will take a podcast and turn it into a blog post and then put a put that on top of a picture and put it on YouTube and make it a video and then, you know, pull out social media quotes. And it's like they they can turn one piece of content into 30. Before well, you know it. I have my reservations on that. And the reason why is each platform mm-hmm. is unique and has a unique um, style or format that works for it. So I don't know about you, but if a video is longer than about two or three minutes, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Right. So, so videos right. have to be extremely succinct and to the point and video content I use for things that require visuals, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to have to be stuck in front of my computer screen any more than my life already has a computer screen in front of it. It was never my plan to be married to my computer. And so video requires that. I don't like it. Um, but for the right content, like if I'm trying to learn how to change a starter motor on a car, and there's a visual showing the all the action steps. That's perfect for video, right? But for lo- what we're talking about mm-hmm. today, do you need video? Absolutely not, right? Um, I would much sooner have that on my phone and in my back pocket with a set of earbuds in while I'm out for a hike or something. And so mm-hmm. each content format is different. So for me, uh, video needs to be visual, a visual medium, and it needs to be visually stimulating, and it needs to be extremely succinct and short. Um, for the podcast, it's a very personable, uh, medium. That's why I like the interview format and it long form content, I think is very useful because you can get in depth and really deliver value. Um, so I don't tend to be a a fan of two minute or five minute podcasts. I tend to like the in depth ones that run, you know, 35 minutes to an hour. Um, and then for articles, it's different again, because the written word is different from the spoken word. And if you want that to rank well and to read well, it's going to require more editing than you can actually do. You can't really take a conversation and turn it into a great article because it's really, it's all structured differently. Like you and I are having a conversation. It sounds, it sounds and flows well, but as soon as you throw it in a written format, it's going to look randomy. It's going to, it's going to roll. It's, you're going to lose attention. It, uh, there's a structure mm-hmm. to written content that's way more structured. That's why books are one of the greatest values in education is because you pay anywhere from two to 10 bucks for an ebook now. And somebody has labored months on getting that thing carefully edited, carefully structured, totally tight. 
and putting that thing out there and you get it all for like two to five bucks or two to 10 bucks. It's, it's an extraordinary value. Right. So, you know, each, each format is different. So yes, repurposing is there, but you have to be careful. Don't schlock it together. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you just sit back and think about it, you know, sometimes those things just don't quite feel right. You know, even though yeah. people say, oh, you can get 30 pieces of content out of one blog post, podcast, whatever. When you really start thinking about you know, how much chopping and slicing and dicing you're going to end up doing, is it really going to be that great when you throw it into a, a podcast or you throw it over on a video? Or is it going to make sense when you try to read a conversation that's been transformed into a blog post? So sometimes doing a lot of that extra work really won't help you as much as you think it might. Yeah, I think I think where you can do it is I think a lot of stuff translates well over to social media. You can pull sound bites mm -hmm. out of our interview and publish some sound bites on social media with some nice uh, imagery and stuff. You know, say like you know you can pull a quote from what we did here and then put a nice image behind it, and then you know put my name behind it and say Todd Tresseter and all that, and then use it to promote this podcast. That's that's an effective tool. You know, get that up on Pinterest and make it pinnable. Um, so there's there's ways to do it. But just be careful. Uh, I think the way it's sold is kind of, you know, the way you were saying it, it's like you take a podcast and then you translate it here and do this and do that. Like, like you can just hand it to a VA and instantly all this content gets just, and you're out on all these platforms and yeah, you are, it's junk. Right. You know, you, you haven't delivered. Mm -hmm. here, here's the thing I'm going to throw at you, Millette is, or not you, but everybody listening is, um, you know, this is a competitive environment now, and it's only getting more competitive. All the tools make it easier and easier for everyone to be a publisher. And when everyone can be a publisher, everyone will be a publisher. Um, and so we're all building our personal brands, our personal platforms now. This is expanding, not contracting. That means more and more content's coming out. So you got to ask yourself a question, which is anything I'm producing, does it deserve to be number one? Is it truly the best out there? And if it's not, Make it that way. Because if it's not, you're just adding to the clutter and you're never going to rank anyway. And if you build a site full of this clutter, it's never going to rank for anything. It's not going to convert clients. So there's a, I'm just a stickler for quality. You could check with my assistant. I mean, everything we do is about quality. Because if it's not top quality, even when you do it top quality, people will still find ways to complain, you know? And so you just got to go for the best at everything you do. And don't sacrifice quality for, for expediency at any point along the way. And that's hard, but it pays in the end because what happens is you end up standing out. Right. You know, knowing what you know now about building up successful businesses, what would be the first thing you would suggest that a new coach do if they're serious about growing a successful business? You have to become clear. It's going back to what we already said. You have to become absolutely clear on the solution you provide and that people are willing to pay for it. And then you have to figure out how they will, how they hunt for that solution. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you have to understand the client buying process. And then what you do when you market is you map yourself into that client buying process. So I gave the example, there's a certain percentage of people that want to find a financial coach or a money coach, Right. And, and as it turns out, if you look at the basic keywords, I haven't done this for years, but back when I did it, there was about 25,000 monthly searches for the various combinations of keywords I threw out. 
And so you you mm-hmm. just apply one percent rule to that, right? It's one percent that will click through. One percent of the click throughs will do a do a test drive, and then you have some percentage of test drives that convert to clients. And then you look at that, and is that a viable business or not? So, anyway, that was one example of mapping myself into one specific buying process, which was an internet search for financial coaches. You've got to look at what is the solution you provide through your practice. What exactly that is, how exactly people seek to find that solution to that problem. And then you've got to figure out how to market yourself or map yourself into that client buying process and that client conversion process. How do they buy? How do they convert? Like I know, as I said earlier in this interview, that hiring a financial coach is a trust process. And so they're not going to take just the number one guy. They're going to sit there and spend hours reading my content, listening to my podcasts. I had one client come to me. He and his wife had listened to every one of my podcasts. There's 20 some odd episodes three times. They were quoting my podcast mm. during the, during the interview. I mean, I, they were sold before they ever came in, you know, it, it's right. just. So anyway, you just got to understand that problem solution and the buying process of the client. Then you can start marketing. Don't just throw spaghetti against the wall, as you as you correctly pointed out. Exactly. Todd, this has been so good. I've learned so much from this conversation so far, and I would love to finish up now with the final five rapid fire questions. So what is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Uh, daily workouts or every other day, I think. Um, I... I'm torn on how to answer this one, Millette, because I think the other thing is persistence. You know, mm-hmm. it did, this thing didn't happen overnight. You know, it's it's a desirable coaching practice now. It's becoming a desirable, you know, internet-based uh, education business. Um, but God, it's been years in the making of persistence, persistence, persistence. So it, there's a clarity around your plan that you have to have. And you have to be willing to pay the price to go out and create it. That'd be something you truly care about. And so I guess, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, you know, it requires persistence to get there. And so just be really clear about your plan, know it's right, and know that you care enough to create it and go do it and do it every day until you get there. Nice. What is one quality that you feel every successful coach needs to develop? I think curiosity. Um, for me, like, you know, I've always been fascinated by the wealth building thing. Like you said it in the interview, you know, I play the money game like a kid plays Monopoly. You know, I've I've always been mm-hmm. fascinated by it. Um, I don't know why. It's just my nutty little thing, right? Um, so and then and then I was absolutely fascinated by clients and how they mapped into the wealth building process and what issues they had and how could we overcome them. It was like this really fascinating adventure. I was curious with it. And that curiosity is so essential as a coach. You've got to genuinely care about the client. You've got to be genuinely curious about what what's going on for them and how do you get in there and how do you help them? So I, I think curiosity and a sense of adventure. Recommend one book that's had a big impact either on your business or on your life. Uh, it would have to be War of Art. Okay. Um, Stephen, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Stephen Pressfield, War of Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he did a brilliant job of explaining in that book a concept that every person listening confronts, you and me included, and that's resistance, and it's with a capital R to deify it. Um, it's such an important concept for every coach to know deeply. One, because you're going to confront it in your own work. Every time you go to – here's the basic premise. Every time you go to move your life forward in any way – you will encounter resistance. It's 
it's like it's hardwired into our DNA. It's bizarre. Um, I, I, I coach on this stuff. I teach it and I still experience it myself. There's just no getting around it. The only thing you can do is you can get better at going through it. That's the right. only thing you can do. You will never overcome it, but you can get better going through it. And so that's essential to, you know, building success, coaching others to success is really understanding that deeply. So Steven's got a couple of books out. His first one was uh, War of Art. That's what started it. He's added on to that with Turning Pro, Do the Work. So he's got several on the topic, um, but I think mm. that's required reading. Give us one online resource that you think coaches would love to use in their business and that you couldn't do business without. Um, so drip. So you can go to financialmentor.com slash drip. It's my, uh, email marketing slash content marketing combination. Drip is a amazing technology that goes way beyond just autoresponders and, um, you know, all the basics that you see with regular email marketing. What it does mm -hmm. is it's, um, it, it connects, it, you can personalize your site based on what people do. It tracks everything that people do on your site and then connects it back to them through a technology they have so that like all your subscribers, even if they don't log in, it tracks everything they view on your site and you can personalize your site. You can personalize what offers you make. It's just, it's content marketing taken to the next uh, level and it doesn't cost any more than any of the competing email marketing platforms. And so I, I am an affiliate for it. I love it. I use it in my own business. And people can access it at financialmentor.com slash drip. Awesome. Now, finally, how can the listeners best connect with you? What social platforms are you on? And give us your web address. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I drag around social media like a ball and chain. So the best <laughs> way to connect with me, I, you know, my assistant runs my, my social media. I mean, I have to have it because the nature of my business, right? Um, but really, if you want to connect with me, it's on my website, which is financialmentor.com. So two words, financial, and then mentor connected financialmentor.com. Um, and that's the hub of everything. And, you know, true to what we talked about here, I give away some free stuff to try to build the relationship so you can see if you're in the right place and if you like the message. So, uh, new subscribers, you get a free book. It's called, uh, 52 weeks. I'm sorry. The book is 18 essential lessons of a self-made millionaire. And it's a short read, but it goes through a lot of principles I, I share about how you build wealth and, you know, just essential stuff I learned along the journey. Hmm. And then uh, another thing I give away is 52 Weeks to Financial Freedom. And it's a, a free e-course that people get. And no, they don't get rich in 52 weeks. But what it does do is it gives you the framework of that whole seven steps process. So it kind of gives you the overview, gives you a lot of tangible action steps, just really introduces the whole seven steps process. And that's totally free. Oh, nice. Well, I'll be sure to get all of those links and recommendations onto the show notes page. Todd, this has been such a great conversation. I want to thank you again so much for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Millette. Thanks for joining us on the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. Be sure to head over to the website at unstoppablecoach.co where you can grab the show notes and check out all the resources and the links to the guest website and social sites. And be sure you join us every weekday when I interview another successful coach and we learn their secrets to building an unstoppable coaching business.